Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Probably the last 10 years of my life, I've been in uh, ecclesiastical debates of one form or another about what it means to be the church, what it means uh, who can send people to plant churches, what does church authority mean, all that sort of stuff. I've been caught up in that for a long time, and uh, I had a little rest when I first moved here, but kind of rare its ugly head again, and I'm back into it. And so I've been studying the, the different metaphors in Scripture that God uses to explain the nature of the church and our relationship to it. So I've been thinking about those a lot. You know, you have the household of God, uh, Jerusalem above, or or the church as mother, um, spiritual temple, all those different metaphors. But probably the most common metaphor in the New Testament is the church is the body of Christ. It comes up a lot. Um, It shows up in Romans 12, um, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, Romans, that's 1 Corinthians 10 11. 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, um, and a few other places it's mentioned in passing. And it's probably the most abused metaphor for the church that I see. Um, It's hard to think of one that's more abused than that. And the first time I ran into the abusing of that metaphor was in the house church movement, which I was plugged into pretty tightly back. Um, We had this thing going on called the emerging church, the emergent church. I don't know if you guys remember that flash in the pan, but I was in that flash for a while. Um, And in the house church, they would use this metaphor to stress the organic and simple nature of the church. There's a book called The Organic Church or The Simple Church or, is your church organic? People would bring that sort of stuff up all the time. And um, and they would rail against institutional church, right? They'd go, just hate the institutional church and the structure and hierarchy and how it grieves the spirit, quenches the spirit and all that. And they would use the metaphor to justify their rejection of systems and structure and centralized authority. And, um, and I came to call these guys, most recently, vagabond Christians. There's Christians that just kind of like wander from place to place. They don't submit to anyone in particular at all. Um, they're not really part of a church. They, they, would, they would obviously, in a lot of cases, argue with me. They would say that their little Bible study that they they go to when they feel like it is their church. Um, but that's not a church. And, uh, and what's so ironic is they're using a, the metaphor the exact opposite way that God uses it to, to communicate the truth about the church. First off, um, anyone knows anything about the body? The body's made of systems, right? We have skeletons. We have, circ- we have veins, you know, respiratory systems. It's made up of very... Very complicated uh, a system, that that. More complicated than anything we've ever created. Um, AI is a myth, by the way. We can't do it, okay? It'll never happen, but that's a side point. But we try to. We try to get close to manufacturing, like, uh, the human brain. It just can't happen. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. And uh, the body has structure. Thank goodness for it, right? We're more or less asymmetrical, um, you know, uh, or symmetrical, you know, we, we should, uh, you know, one hand here, whatever, there's a structure to us, um, and the body has centralized authority, we have a head, we have a brain, which commands come from, and, um, but we are organic, right, yes, that's definitely true, and we are living, and uh, there is a spiritual, mystical nature to the church, and with those that want to use this, that metaphor to emphasize that, I'm with them, 
Um, there are a lot of churches that all you feel like there is there is systems and process and, and dead structure. If you read J.C. Ryle, he's a man of his time. You have, to, you have to be careful when you read Ryle. But Ryle is so frustrated with the dead church. I mean, that's all he ever writes, writes about. And so you, you could walk away thinking that Ryle somehow hates authority and hates structure. But mind you, he's an Anglican, right? He's in a very structured church, and he didn't have to be. He didn't have to be there. There was other options at that time. Um, but uh, so clearly he's not against structure, but he is against dead structure. And that happens a lot in Reformed churches. And that's why we, we just have a plethora of engineers. And I think the reason that happens in Reformed churches is that there is a beauty to the system of Scripture. There really is. Um, there's a beauty to the structure of it. And that's very satisfying to that sort of mind. And, um, and, and we should learn to appreciate that too, but not, not rest there. I mean, there's more to it than that. That's the beauty. That's why we have all these different metaphors to explain the church. And even the body of Christ, when you look how it's used in different passages, it gives you a little different spin each time. Um, so I do find common cause with those that are saying, I don't want to be part of a dead church that's just a bunch of systems. Um, but the church is, has structure, it has systems, it has real authority. It's just like a body, right? So don't use that that way. We have to beware of those who abuse and tri- uh, twist scripture. You know, right now I, I, I see people left and right using sola scriptura to say that they don't have to listen to any other interpretation. That sola scriptura just means just me and my Bible. It does not mean that. It's never meant that. That's insane. And then I've had people that have said to say things like, uh, you know, the church always reforming is the same. And that means the church is always changing to them. You know, <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that. It means we're reforming where there's abuses, where we need revival and correction. But the good things stay the same. They're not. So there's these ideas and words you hear people toss around. Um, and you, you have to say, well, what does that mean? And things like the body of Christ, you can hear people just say it and assume you're talking about the same thing. And we, we had the picnic a couple weeks ago, and we talked to some Mormon missionaries there. And those Mormon missionaries use a lot of the same words we use, but they don't mean the same thing, right? So half the battles get them to define it. Well, that happens in the church, too. And, uh, and a lot of us are too proud to ask people to explain things. You know, be willing to look like a fool. You'll, you'll, you'll not stay one if you do that. <laughs> but if you're not willing, you'll never learn. What do you mean by that? What does that mean? You know, ask people to define their terms, and it'll be helpful. And that's a good question. So what does this metaphor mean? Well, it means a lot of different things, and I'm not going to be able to do an exhaustive study of it. So I'm just going to look at a couple things I want to call your attention to here in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, I like preaching on 1 Corinthians 12, because how often do you hear someone preach on the spiritual gifts in a Presbyterian church? It's just fun to press the envelope a little bit. Um, but I'll stay, I'll stay safe, you know. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead. Well, here, let me give you a summary statement real quick. Paul uses the body of Christ to teach that the Spirit unites all believers in one body, gives individual believers different gifts or functions, and does so for the purpose of growing and maturing the entire body under the guidance of the head, which is Christ. You take all those passages together, that's more or less what it's saying. That we're all in one body. So it's stressing that unity. That's a big deal in, uh, in Corinth, right? They're divided. It also stresses 
the individual's place in the body, but it understands that in a communal sense. And lastly, that the body is under the guidance of the head. That comes up in Colossians and Ephesians. We're going to just look at the things that come out here in 1 Corinthians. So we'll read 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 13. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are a variety of ministries in the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same spirit works in all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So first, there's different functions that the Spirit gives to individuals in the body, but for a single purpose. And that's the first thing I want you to take away from here, okay? Now, I will say, I'm actually not going to get all the fun stuff, what these gifts mean, if they're still around. You know, I think the Holy Spirit still works in the body of Christ. Um, I don't see any reason that we need these miracles in the way that they used them in the the first century. But that's a whole other study. Um, but I, I believe the Holy Spirit is in us, works through us. I believe in incredible works of providence and all that. But there's, there's a principle here that's more important than the particulars, and that's what we want to draw out. Um, and that being said, too, I, th- there's not an exhaustive list of the gifts in the New Testament. When you look at Romans 12 and then you look at 1 Corinthians 12, they overlap a bit, but there's a bunch that don't fit in there. And the fact that they're not the same list that, that's good reason to, to believe that Paul's just giving you a list of things that are off the top of his head. You know, this, 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 and so on, so on, is what he's more or less doing. So I don't think it's an exhaustive list. Um, but what I want you to call your attention to is verse 7. Look at that. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why, why does God give these different gifts or abilities or function? He does it for the common good. And that's what, first, or that's what the Corinthians needed to hear. They were a very self-centered, narcissistic, proud congregation. They loved to call attention to themselves. Right? They loved to be independent and do things for themselves. That's why it's absolutely crazy uh, that people would use this metaphor as a way to, to not be dedicated to a body. To not, to not be in true community with other believers. Um, that's why that's just a really wild uh, application of it. But he says it's for the common good. It's not for us. Your gifts are not for you, ultimately. That's, that's, you have to have to remind yourself about that. God has given it to you for the good of other people. So what we always have to be asking is, how can I bless others? How can I bless the church? How can, how can I help? Um, and I always tell people, if you don't know what your gift is, as if there's one gift. When I was a little kid, I can say this before she moves here. I guess it's being recorded, but um, my mom used to tell me and my brothers like how everyone had like God gave everyone one special gift, and I never bought into it, but my brother did, <laughs> big time. Mom, what's my one special gift? Like like he was the X Man or something, um, and just would be uh, obsessed with it. And um, 
I just don't, I don't think that's what's going on. God gives us all sorts of different gifts and abilities and temperaments, and they exist on spectrums, and sometimes they're strong in one time in your life and weak in others, you know. But the main thing is everything that God gives you, that he blesses you with, is for the common good of the church. That's the main thing. So if you don't know what your gift or gifts are, rush to the needs. Where are the needs in the church? Rush there. You'll be surprised um, how that you find that you're good at things you never thought you would be. Um, or you'll grow in ways that you needed to grow. And so look for the needs in a church if you don't know what, uh, know what your gifts are, because once you find out, you know you're supposed to use them for the common good. So why don't you just stop, start with the common good? What would bless the church most? Go there. Um, I love what Tozer says. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be, where they become unity, conscience, and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. And what, what Tozer is saying is when we get totally inward focus and and we're just aiming for unity, um, as opposed to, like, how can I honor God most with what God's given me? Uh, you don't. It, it, you get unity by focusing on the Lord and what would uh, honor him most, what would give him the most glory where you're at, as opposed to um, asking, like, how would you like to use your gift? Not that you can't do that, but I've seen that happen in a lot of churches. Um, so it's, it's better to encourage, like, how do you think you could give God glory in this body right now? How can you most honor God right here? Not in the imaginary church you, that you think's out there that you would be fully actualized in and get to, you know, and all that. How, how could you give God glory right here and, and be helpful to this church and bring it into health? That's the sort of question to ask yourself and to ask others and push on them. Um, and it is very common for us to covet other gifts, right? It's very common to think the grass is greener on the other side. And, uh, you know, a lot of people want, uh, don't want the gift that they have, and they want another gift. And I remember there's this guy that Ben and I went to the pastor's college with, um, and he's very gifted, like incredibly gifted, a good writer, uh, mostly just discipline and, and plods and gets things done on time and follows through. And um, one day he was more or less telling me how I, I intimidated him and my gifts intimidated him. You know, and I was like, you don't have any clue how intimidating you are, though. Every time our professors or our teachers here ask, does anyone have their homework done? We all know you're the one that has the homework done and none of, else, none of us got it done. And, uh, and you're just on top of everything, and you just expose all my weaknesses, and I want to be more like you. You know, I want to be more, di- I want to have the gifts you have. And so here's this guy that has all the gifts that I want, because I'd actually get things done. Um, and here's this guy that he thinks being, you know, quick-witted or bold or big or loud or whatever, or, or whatever, whatever he thinks I am, uh, he wants that. And we're both looking at each other, coveting each other's gifts. Now, there's a way that we all rub off each other and bring us into maturity. That's true. But he's going to be him, and I'm going to be me at, down at the core of things through life. And we need each other, right? We complement each other. 
we're members of the same body. And uh, so there's always people coveting gifts, so much so that they, they convince themselves that they have gifts that they don't have. And one of the more unpleasurable parts of being in any leadership in ministry is telling people that. And one of my favorite episodes of American Idol, which there's only, there's not very many of those, but this was one that I did like. Uh, season three is all right. Um, but, uh, but anyway, this guy comes in, and you can tell he's going to be terrible. You just know he can't sing. And there, there's, there's no catch here. He doesn't sing beautifully. You know how, like, the YouTube videos are like, the judges couldn't believe what they heard. Like, no, he was bad. Sound like, like someone grabbed the cat's tail and wound it up or something. But my favorite part is uh, Simon Cowell says, didn't anyone tell you that you're not a good singer? He says, yeah, my mom's told me that my whole life. <laughs> and I thought, what a wonderful mother. Seriously. Because how many mothers, on Mother's Day I'm saying this, fathers do this too, Right. How many, how many parents tell their kids they're gifted in something and they're not, right? And, uh, and sometimes we have to tell people, that is, that's not your gift or not yet. It hasn't been developed, right? <laughs> we should work on that, but you know you're strong here. And I had another young man that was in a church plant, and he was trying to be Mr. Bold Alpha Male, and that's just not him. He's a teddy bear encourager, strong man, but not, not the sort of alpha guy. And I said, stop being alpha. It's, it's terrible. It, it doesn't work. You come off the wrong way. Be who you are. You're so encouraging. He's, and he's embraced that. Now he's a deacon in a church, and he's just lovely to be around. He is so helpful to a church, right? He's trying to be something he's not and failing and making messes. And then he is who God's made him, and the church benefits for it. It's wonderful. So being what you are will help the body. Again, rush, rush to the needs. Always rush to them. Look for how you can um, be helpful. God has given you whatever you have for the good of the body. Right? It's for the body's good. Stop being selfish. We use our gifts for everything but the church so often. We give ourselves to our families. Praise the Lord. We give ourselves to the business, praise the Lord. Right? We should be diligent in all those areas. But give to the church. Now, when you hear me say give to the church, perhaps you're thinking about all the bricks. But we're talking about the body of Christ, right? So give to the members. The hold, encourage each other up. Don't withhold your rebuke. Don't withhold your encouragement. Don't withhold your instruction. Don't withhold your administration. However the Lord's blessed you, don't withhold that from the body. The body needs it. And that's why he's giving you those abilities. That's why he's strengthening you. And, and if you don't know what it is, just serve and serve until you do. And, and the Lord will, uh, will show you. And if he doesn't, the body will still get serviced. One commentator said, The Spirit of God therefore distributes them among us in order that we may, uh, make, all, that we may make all contribute to the common advantage. To no one does he give all lest anyone satisfied with this particular portion should separate himself from the others and live solely for himself. God's made you weak on purpose. On purpose, you don't have all these gifts. So you will need the body. If you don't need the body, you are deceived. If you think you can make it on your own, 
you, you don't know the Scripture, right? Nor the power of God. Or you're, maybe you're temporarily deceived, but if you're feeling that way tonight, let me warn you, you are not heading in a good direction. You need the body. And sometimes it may, it may be hard to look at, like, maybe a, be really clear. Like, I need Esther. I need, um, I need Mac. I need you. If I believe Scripture is true, and what it says about the church is true, and God has put me in this close communion with you, that means we need each other. So you, and it can be hard sometimes to think how you, do, how you need each other. And then the Lord gives you a word of encouragement from someone like that comes up to your knee, right? And God does different things. Too. So you have, to, you have to believe that. He's, he's made you lopsided on, on, uh, on purpose. Grow and mature where you can, but you're never going to have all the gifts. No one does. So then, uh, let's read verses 14 through 20. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body... It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole hearing, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. If there were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. So just pause there for a Well, actually, verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So there's different members, but one body. And that's, that's huge. The church is made, is a unity and diversity. It's the old one and many. It's a philosophical question. If you take any philosophy class, like Greek philosophy, there's just been a debate, does everything break down to one or many? Well, the answer is neither, right? God is Trinitarian. God is, is persons and community. So Christianity solves the debate in a way all other philosophical, theological systems can't. And God makes us in his image. He makes us to live, um, to live in community. We're communal by nature. Part, probably one of the worst things that came out of the Enlightenment been around for a long time, but it, it picked up in America probably because of the, um, you know, manifest destiny, tough man going out, going out west, all that is just rugged individualism, that you can exist as an individual. Uh, but God has made us to, to live in corporation with each other, right, to belong in community together. And that's the whole point here, is that um, we're not, we all need each other. And it just bears repeating. Think of that. Uh, you think, you know, right now in the PCA, right now in the PCA, there's this whole debate about more or less whether or not women can be elders. That's what it's all about. We can jump, we can talk about the technicalities and all that, um, but they'll say, well, women feel excluded. And what are they excluded from? And, well, you know, and they don't really give you examples. You keep pressing, like, well, can you be more specific? What are they excluded from? Well, they're excluded from the seminaries. Are you saying that the seminaries, that they can't go to the seminaries? Because I'm pretty sure they can. Well, you know, particular programs. Uh, like, which programs? And soon you get it's, it's that they can't be pastors. 
right? And they won't be happy so they can be pastors. Now, that is not exclusively a feminine trait. There's a lot of people like that. Until they can be the I, they're not going to be happy. Until they can be that particular thing in the body, they're not happy. And so, as a man, I look at, I look at that sin temptation that they have, and I can identify with it. I've been that way before. I want a particular gift. I want a particular position. And then I'll be happy. Then you get it, and you find, like, well, maybe, maybe there, I could do something else. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> maybe this wasn't what I thought it was. Um, people are difficult. Um, but God, God has put us in the body where he desires. I mean, I, I just sat on that verse... And I wanted to think of something incredible to say about it. But I just think repeating that for a moment and and just sitting on that is, um, but now God has placed the members, each one of them. So members, talking about individuals, but then it stresses its individuals again, right? God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. God puts you where he wants you. And, And do we believe that when we're in a church? If we believe that, why, why are we so easily disgruntled? Why are we so easily upset about it? Is the Lord not sovereign? Is providence not real? Have we been wrong about all those things? You know, you're reformed, you're confessional, you're a Calvinist, and you say you believe that. But do you? There's what we profess and how we function. At a functional level, do you believe God's put you where he desires you? And, uh, and some people say, nope, and they leave, and they jump to another church. And then it turns out that it doesn't work there either. And then they jump to another church. And it seems that they can never find a place where God desires them. Well, I think the lady protests too much. I think perhaps you're the problem. And uh, I heard a joke, and I, I think it's funny. And some of you guys probably don't know this, but Taylor Swift's this singer, right? And she's always singing about her guy problems. And I heard someone say, someone should ask Taylor, maybe it's her problem. Right, so I was like, maybe you're the problem. Maybe it's not the guys, because this is like 20 songs, different guys leaving. Maybe you're the issue. And that should always be our default. Our default should always be, I'm the problem. Then you work from it, and maybe you're not. But that's the humble place to start. Am I the problem? Now, can I justify that theologically, scripturally? I can. Right? Um, when you see someone else sin, you're supposed to add, like, first take inventory so you're not guilty of that same sin. So when you see problems, you, start, you should always ask yourself, am I the issue? And try to make things work in the church that you're in. It's amazing how people hop from church to church. It, it's one thing where God providentially moves you for work. I've known people that, that's had to move to the Southwest because of illness or something. Like there, there's legitimate reasons to, to leave a church. But most of the reasons I hear aren't good. And, and usually if you dig enough, with someone, you find a history there that they didn't mention the first time, a way that they were disgruntled and not happy with where the Lord had put them. And um, so God, God's put you in the body to be what you are, to not, uh, to not always um, desire equality. This is what Calvin says. He, uh, he sets aside a foolish aiming at equality by showing the impossibility of it. If all the members say he desire, he desire the honor that belongs to the eye, the consequence will be that the whole body will perish. For it's impossible for the bo- that the body should remain safe and sound if the members have no different functions and a mutual correspondence between them. 
Hence, equality interferes with the welfare of the body because it produces a confusion that entails present ruin. What madness then would it be should one member, instead of giving way to another, conspire for its own ruin, that of the body? The body needs the different functions. And when we become lopsided in churches, the, the, the whole fellowship, the koinonia, everything suffers for it. And so sins are never to yourself. You cannot, sin never happens in a vacuum. It's uh, sin, believe it or not, is like this rolling that white ball across the, the pool table and hitting on the balls. It has, has repercussions and consequences. And when you have a disgruntled uh, attitude towards the body where God's put you, it affects the whole in ways that you can't, you don't see for years sometimes. You just have to trust it's true in Scripture that lawlessness leads to lawlessness. Sin leads to sin. Then let's look at 1 Corinthians 22 through 26. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more uh, abundant honor. And on our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So every function is crucial to the operation of the body, of the church, of the body of Christ. So much so that if one uh, is honored, which really here means to prosper or healthy, works correctly, right? Uh, then the whole body is uh, strengthened for it. And that's, that's true. When, when certain systems are working well in your body, the other parts of your body feel better. And, uh, and that's why, and a lot of times things that you think don't matter, you know, turn out to really matter. Uh, like, there's this little muscle in my back that I keep hurting. I, and it, it's been an issue for a long time. I first heard it doing dips. Then I heard it playing semi-contact flag football, which is a thing. Um, and then I heard it climbing a tree, by which I mean I jumped up and grabbed the branch, and then something popped in my ba- back. So I heard it hanging on a branch. And then I heard it a couple weeks ago, and it's just this real tiny area. And an uh, area I don't think about very much. You know, if you're a bodybuilder, you wouldn't think about it too much. Or just a, someone lifting weights. You would think about your chest, your biceps, your, you know, your quads and all that stuff. It's just not the sort of thing you give attention to. But, uh, but when it's working well, my back is working in ways that I take for granted. And there are a lot of people in the church that we take for granted that they do things. My, my goal always is if I, if I leave a church that the church kind of hurts from it. You know, I want, I want to leave, I want to be indispensable. I want to be important. Then they'll race and fill the vacuum. Other people will step up. But see, be so committed to your church that when you leave, you feel it. It's always a shame. I'm always sad when people leave a church and they're not missed in terms of what they brought to the church. That's sad to me, you know, um, that they weren't really part of the body in that, that sort of way. But then he also says... Um, when part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers for it. 
I mean, and that's true. You know that physically, especially if you're getting up in your 30s. It doesn't take much for things not to work right. And like that little muscle, I, uh, last Sunday, I missed church service because I could not move my head. I couldn't move it. It was all messed up. And um, so it was stiff. And I'm laying on the bed. And I can't really get up from the bed because you, you tense your stomach and something in your back, apparently. You find out like everything's connected. And so I tensed my back. I couldn't really get up. So Hudson or Emily was like pulling me up. Um, so I'm laying there like this flat. And I was just thinking, man, if someone came into the house, I'd kind of be looking around like this, like, hello. Uh, and uh, and I, I, was, I was suffering. And I, God was merciful, and I was able to come to the hymn sing, which was encouraging. But it's just this little tiny thing, and we all suffer for it. Um, when, when people aren't, aren't contributing, when they aren't being the eye, they're not being the hand or foot or whatever you are, uh, the body suffers for it. The church suffers for it. A lot of times, churches are unhealthy because lots of members just aren't contributing whatever their gifts are, you know? So when you say, man, things aren't going well with this church, you say, well, what, man, what, am I doing my part? Am I using my gifts? Am I part of this problem? I mean, that's what the humble man should ask. Like, what can I do? Um, that's what the body of Christ means, that we need each other, that we're indispensable, we're tied together in a way that's, that's uh, practical, whether we're just bringing meals after we have babies, but there's also a spiritual way that we're tied together. God knits us. It's amazing. And it does, doesn't mean, the body of Christ doesn't mean that you can go do your own thing. That's, it means the exact opposite, that God's bringing us together. And so what I would uh, challenge you, exhort you to, is, uh, is to love the body that God's put you in. He's desired to bring you here, unless he's not sovereign. Um. Love the body that God's put you in. Rush to the needs. God will show you where your strengths are. And, um, and, be, and learn to be thankful. For, you think Kim's not here. Kim's not here tonight. Uh, she gets sick. Uh, she struggles with some illness. But Kim does a lot. She does a lot of setup down there. And, um, and I was thinking about uh, how Ashley Nix cleaned this really well, uh, this church. I, I just noticed it. Um, the other day. And there's a lot of people, you want to learn to like obs- observe what other people are doing. And you can thank them. This is not not a big like mutual self-esteem thing. But, but notice and praise the Lord for them and pray for them that they'd be strengthened in the work and that they would see it as a spiritual service that God's given to them for the sake of the body, whatever it is you have. And so brothers, look for a way to, to love this body. Be th- I'm thankful for you. Be thankful for the people God's put in your life. I think this is important for our church. Our church, God has brought a lot of new people in this church in the last two years, even since I've been here, and uh, very encouraged by what the Lord's doing here. Uh, but we need to be knit together so we can be on mission together, right? So we can build each other up, see each other mature um, and grow, but also so we can declare the gospel, um, whether it's down at the abortion clinic or just to our neighbors at a barbecue, um, so we can see souls come to know the Lord and be brought into the body. Body's always growing. That's what I love in Ephesians 4. So when you look at the metaphor there, it's about how God is growing us into the mature man. So we're not going to be tossed to and fro anymore. And that's so the, the bride of Christ is growing through the works of the ligaments and arms and such. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have 
by your spirit, brought us into this body. We didn't bring ourselves into it. This is not some club. This isn't just some visible organization, but it is mystical. You have knit us together by your spirit. We thank you for it. We thank you that the waters of baptism are thicker than blood and that this is our family forever and ever. God, teach us to love each other. Pray that we would have unity. I pray that you would show us how we can serve the body for its common good to your glory, Lord. I pray that those that, that work hard and faithfully to, that you would train our eye to see it so we could encourage them or at the very least thank you for them, God. And we praise you, Lord. Pray all this in the name of your son. Amen.